Today at the SDGI Directors in Dialogue, German director Oliver Hirschbiegel talks to fellow director Dervla Walsh about his vision behind his films such as Downfall and Five Minutes of Heaven. Two things took out for me when, when, when we spoke earlier in the year, and that was your belief that truly evil people exist, which I thought was interesting from a drama director's point of view, because we so often, you know, we, we, we work to find the humane or the, the vulnerable side of a character. And secondly, that what we do ultimately is we make entertainment. And I thought there were just really very unpretentious remarks by a director of your standing and, and, and experience. And, and now having looked at a lot of your work, I can see that you are attracted to the darker sides of the human psyche. Yes, you are quite a pussycat um, off the set not on the set, and, um, and uh, also all your stories have very much a, a, a redemptive quality at the end, which makes them tolerable and, and ultimately entertaining. And I suppose, is that something you consciously seek out in the scripts that you choose to work on? Well, before I answer that, I, I need to say this here, because I, I didn't really rehearse about it. Cho, ahas, orum, uh, that, that, that puts you up there with the Queen of England, so uh, excellent. <laughs> now I'm relaxed, okay. I should have rehearsed it. <laughs> no, no. That's, uh, <clears throat> uh, so, yes, the, the, the kind of projects you, I mean, you are, there, there is a common denominator to a lot of the projects that you, that you have worked on, and that is a deep and dark central character, but yet a, uh, something very redemptive at the end. I know it's obvious on one level, but yours are particularly, particularly dark and evil. Yeah, I don't, I don't look at it like that. It's more, I, I just go for the, for the story that, that's fascinating, that, that, that grabs me and that gives me the feeling that I can um, tell a story uh, that, and, and people gain something from it. And it, it seems that they happen to be the dark ones, yeah. Have you any The next one is not that yes. dark, actually. Yeah. It's about this princess, Diana. <laughs> but then she had a very dark side, and there's mm. something... It's a, it's a tragic, it's a tragic um, love story. It's, it's a Greek drama, so in a way it's dark too, I guess. But it's not, I'm, not, I'm not aiming for that. Yeah. It just so happens and an, that and another, things... another point might be that I really admire directors and writers who do comedy. Because mm. I think that's like the the the, the, the queen, the, the king discipline. I, mm. I, it's, it's, I learned so much from them. Yet I would never really dare to touch that kind of genre because it's just. And is that I think because you believe? Masters, really. And do you believe that uh, a director and their sensibilities? There, there is a particular style or approach or a subject matter that's particular to every director or do you push yourself out of your own you know comfort zone and 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 push yourself to approach subjects quite different i think there's only two kind of directors really right it's the ones that and i don't mean this in a negative way who like impose themselves mm. on a subject a story and make it their theirs so that a Kubrick movie is always a Kubrick movie, right? You know that. A Fellini film is always a Fellini film. And then there's 
there's others uh, who, like Howard Hawks, for instance, or what, what an Ang Lee today, who seem to be able to tackle any genre and not, you know, make me think about them being the directors and I, I always loved that approach Howard Hawks is one of my big heroes still and so I try I try to be uh, the, the humble servant of the story that I'm telling in a way I mean it sounds a bit stupid maybe but. so a Hirschbiegel film an Oliver Hirschbiegel film yes, is that doesn't it? sound doesn't go down well no, in my it's, idea, it's really. gone down it's very well obviously in Sundance and in Hollywood and, and Germany and yeah the, the, the thing about your your films is that they really go under the skin of the like you the, there are these very dark characters at, a, at at the center of them and yet you you do succeed in in kind of in ex, in revealing the third the third dimension and the other thing I would say about your about your work is it's very unshowy I mean I would describe I remember once um, meeting somebody I was in an interview for something and they said we want this to be really muscular and um, I remember going away thinking, what is a muscular, what is a muscular director? And, um, and I would very much describe yours. It's got it's strong substance, very, on, very solid, unshowy, and, and you never, you never um, opt for the sentimental. You know, when there are those choices, you don't seem to go the sentimental route. I'm is German. That the, is that the, the German <laughs> Very well. On that, I'm going to show the first clip, which is from a piece of your work that I didn't know, um, called or that, that I hadn't seen, um, Dal's Experiment. And for those um, uh, who don't who don't know it, um, basically, it's uh, two dozen men are recruited to play the roles of inmates and guards in a make-believe prison for two weeks. So, Oliver, can you just put that scene in context for us? Because that's the most palatable scene. Things spiral out of, out of control um, in this. This is a, a film that ultimately is, a, is about a social experiment and exploring power um, and when people are, are given power and what they do with it. Can you just kind of contextualize that scene for us? Well, the film is based on, the, on an actual uh, experiment, the Stanford Prison Experiment. They did that in the 70s at, the, at Stanford University in... Um, in San Francisco, and it's basically like like this is still part of like the first half of the film, which pretty much depicts what happened there up to a certain point. And then we just thought about what would happen if the professor would have not stopped the experiment, because the original experiment was set to run for two weeks, and uh, they had to break it off after 48 hours. Okay. And uh, so this is this is um, Moritz Bleibtreu being the, being the hero of this uh, of the film. The, uh, he 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 goes in there to be part of that experiment as a journalist who wants to report about that, and he's using his these glasses that have like an inbuilt little video <laughs> camera, so he can record um, what's going on there. And this is sort of the first moment where. I think it's half a day the experiment has been running when the, the, this first moment occurs where, where, where one of these guards is really invading the, the privacy of that prisoner. All these guys are just volunteers. They are paid the same amount of money. And by random, it has been dis dis decided who's going to be a guard and who prisoner. And in I know that in the finished piece, I read that there are 
a lot of scenes in the finished piece that were never in the script. So I was just wondering if you could talk to us about, first of all, how you approach the casting of this, because there are 24 men we have to get to know in some, uh, in some way or, or, or other in, in the hour and a half. So um, how you approach the casting of it, and then did you rehearse for the shooting, because it's all shot within this very confined space? I never rehearse, really. Um, I've, never, I've never done that, except for, let's say, readings or blocking rehearsals for, I did like two, one, like monologue films, and I, I would like do blocking rehearsals for that, but except for that, I, I hardly ever rehearse. And I why is that? Do you find it, it takes from the, 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 the freshness or the spontaneity on the set? Or? Yes. It, it, I, I, I always fear to over-rehearse things, so I, I make sure that the actors know where they are, where they're going from, where they are, like which points they're reaching, and I'm in, in, in constant exchange with them about thoughts and things. Um, but I'm a bit scared of rehearsals that you, you know, take the virginity off a scene or the, or the whole thing, and so far it has worked out. Of course I rehearse on the spot. Mm. Um, you mean on and the I spot don't on shoot, set? Like on, yes, on, yes. On, on the set. So, uh, and, I, and I would never shoot really before I have the feeling we, we are kind of there. Mm. Uh, but I never start shooting later than that. So if I feel like mm. this, perfect, this is it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I should have done the take already. You know what I mean? And so working out your blocking on set and all of that, is that, is, is that something that you go to set with a plan? or you actually, it all happens on the floor? I always have a plan, even if, I, even if it's derived like an hour before um, I'm, I'm going to set. But I always have a very clear idea and that sometimes it just comes from here, sometimes it's thought through. Yeah, I never start the day by going like you go here, you there, you there, you there. I, I started much more vague really. I mm. kind of give a direction, then I just watch what they're doing. And very often they just do what I you know, mm. had in mind. Uh, and then you do corrections and they come up with suggestions. The actors are good, often. I mean, if you choose them right. And um, Is casting you spend a lot of time on um, choosing? Yeah, well, I mean, th this film uh, was not like on a, made on a high budget, so there were 22 guys there. I knew I would have the money to really hire uh, 12 professional actors, and the others I just had to fill up with people I found. Okay. So more than half of these guys, they, are not, they had worked as extras maybe, wow, okay. or had just applied that they would like to be part of this project. So we videoed them and then I got them back in and I played with them. In casting I rehearse, in yes, casting yeah. I, I play around with, with the guys. And that's how um, I found all those, all those men. And many of those who have really full-blown scenes with dialogue and everything were never meant to be like characters like that. It's something that developed while we were shooting. And that was something that you and your schedule was able to respond to um, in, in terms of, as I said, there are scenes, there are a lot of scenes in the finished piece that weren't there in the script, so you obviously gave the actress that space on the set. 
Yes, and even though we did not rehearse, every day we would go into that set and it was sort of a, a very, very unsettling thing. We didn't really notice it, but people who came down to visit us, they couldn't stand it down there. It was like in the cellar. Uh, they would be there, watch us like for half an hour and then couldn't stand it and would go back. For us, it became like a normal thing, but of course it generated a general mm. atmosphere that was rather intense. And there were these two groups. There were the, the, the guards and the prisoners, and they really became like two different parties. And I, of course, enhanced that a little and pushed that a little. And, uh, I'm not in a mean way, but subtle, yeah. And then there were other things that just, uh, I, I think it was the year when Big Brother had, to, had come over to Germany and was mm -hmm. big. I think it was the first or the second show of Big Brother. And uh, I watched it and they had that element that uh, everybody frequently had to go in that, into that room and talk into a camera mm -hmm. about their experiences. And while shooting the film, I had the feeling I, I didn't, I, I, don't, I don't get enough of each of these characters. Mm. So I, I uh, got in touch with a psychologist um, who had uh, helped me a bit and, and asked him, what would you ask these people if you interviewed them about their experience? And he gave, gave me like, a couple of questions and told me how to do that. So after two weeks, I started interviewing these guys, my being the professor, never, never been seen, put them in front of a camera, and I would never tell them what question would come, nor were they allowed to tell the others what questions I okay. asked. So it was like a classic improvisation thing, the director becoming an actor and them having to be in character, answering the questions. That's, that they, that's interesting, because that was a really that gives fascinating... gives a, a very, very authentic and real uh, additional aspect. Yes, because the film starts and you really have little or no background information on the characters. You just kind of arrive in the, in, in, in the situation. And that did help to start understanding you, you know, the background they were from and to why they responded to power or humiliation or, or whatever it was in, a, in, a, in the way that they did. I mean, it's also a very strong style. Um, you know, I, I know you referenced was it the Fight Club as as one of um, as yeah, I stole the whole sequence there. <laughs> and Fincher did never find out which one it was. Because <laughs> had a very very strong strong flavour. You know that you, you know you were in this effectively basement bunker, steel bunker all the time. But yet we were very very clear of all the choreography of the um, of the place and it was quite strongly color-coded because effectively you had people dressed in similar, in similar you had your 12 men and the, their 12 prisoners in their white dresses and the 12 guards. Yeah, but guards. that's pretty much going by what they did back then. Okay. The, the, the guys were made to wear like white dresses and okay. stupid bath cups. I, I, uh, I didn't use that because it just looked silly, but that's what they did mm. back then. And these flip-flops and, and the guards would have just uniforms. Okay. No weapons, just uniforms. Okay. So there was actually that, that element which was, was, uh, yeah. was based on, on fact. So you're very much like a psychologist in, uh, in that piece, Oliver, the director stroke psychologist. And then I know in the, in the next piece that we're, we're going to talk about um, downfall, it was um, more of a historian. Um, you, you, you called yourself in, in, in this. And I mean, everybody, I think, knows about downfall. I mean, it's an ex 
extraordinary, powerful piece of, of work and the story of Adolf Hitler's final days in the Berlin bunker as the Second World War draws to an end. The clip is probably familiar to people for that various reasons. Yes, <laughs> I'm showing it for, for a particular um, reason because I want to talk about you and, and Bruno, but also I'm dying to ask you um, at the end, is it frustrating or flattering <laughs> to uh, how, how this has been used? So on a lighter note, is it frustrating or flattering the life that this has virally, that particular clip? Well, it's a first in film history, so how could I be pissed yeah. about it? And the thing is, I mean, I, most of them, I, I've seen about 90 now, and I think there's 130, 140. Most of them are brilliantly done and make me laugh. Mm -hmm. Like, it's mm -hmm. just like, mm -hmm. and, and it's about like, and I think the first one I saw was about this autopilot system for planes. Yeah. yeah. And then it's, about, it's just ridiculous. Everybody comes out with a crazy yeah. idea. It's wonderful how people can find mm. such comedy in such, a, in such a dark piece. I mean, Bruno Gantz's performance is absolutely extraordinary. And the the format was, is wrong, though, right? It, it should be like that. Okay. You guys know that. So yeah. um, there's, there's new technology. I, um, it used to be easy in the old days. And I'm not that old, really. Yeah. Right? Apologies. You never had problems like that. No, it um, happens everywhere, mm. even at home in my place. Uh, I mean, it's one of the things that we go to such trouble making things a certain way, actually, and, and then, then it gets seen, be it on you know, YouTubes or computers, and you just think of all the time you've spent perfecting it. And so um, the vanity has to, has to disappear quite often. But work, tell me about working with, uh, with, with Bruno. I mean, how do you give a man like that a note? Do you say, give me more, make it less? Like it's, um, how did the two of you work together on, on that? Well, you, 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 you said I was on experiment, I was a psychologist. I, you know, I think well, that's what we do. We are pretty, what we do, our job is being psychologists, doing a lot of energy work at the same time. That, that's the way I understand our craft, really. And it doesn't really matter whether you have like a very young actor there or a very experienced man, as long as you have a clear vision and create an energy that that actor is able to you know, connect to and there's a flow that works. And the more that works, the better that works, the less you really have to talk. So again, I, I, I had a couple of sessions with Bruno. Um, I sent him to see a doctor who is specialized in Parkinson's disease. And he came back, ringing at my door, and he, there he was, uh, a Parkinson patient. And he was, he was, he was, he was mm. brilliant, really. Mm. Scary brilliant. But then I told him, this is, we, Bruno, this is brilliant, but we know it's not, that's, not got, it's not, that's not enough, right? And he said, well, what, what, what do you mean, that's not enough? Well, you have to go way deep down. You have to reach deep down there where it's really dark and scary. I mean, I'm talking to Bruno Ganz, one of the mm. heroes, one of my heroes. Mm. And he's like, of course he knew it, but me being the director, saying it that way was started the real process on his end. Mm. I didn't do much more, really. Mm. And then we would meet again and just exchange our notes and things, you know, just like historians would do. I found this, I found that, what do you think? Mm. And oh, and then I've got another aspect here. And then we would look at photographs and the footage and listen mm. to the voice and all that. So it was very 
in a way, from then on, a very technical <laughs> thing. And shooting it pretty often just meant something like that. Or would you stand, like, would you stand? Or does the sitting feel right? Just do it sitting. Just blocking rehearsals, mm. no, never full speed. Just basic blocking rehearsals. And then the sitting didn't feel right. I asked him, Is it, does it feel right? And he said, no, I should do it standing. Said, yeah, you should do it standing. So something like that. So a piece, a scene like that, like, was it almost like theatre, like the scene that, you know, because it's all very solidly covered. So your master on, on Bruno is, you let him, you know, go, it's, is, is, is it, does it happen in the first take, second take? Do, when you do pickups, do you do it from a certain place, or are you somebody who believes in running the scene from the beginning to the end? I think that one was shot, uh, each take was shot with two cameras. Mm. And I did uh, two blocking rehearsals, like with just 20% of the energy. So I didn't really know what was coming. It just basically okay. did, in a very technical way, what he would do. When would he get up? When would he throw the, the pens on the table? Things like that. And then we would go. And I think the take you see there is the first one, really. Yeah, OK. And I think I did three okay. of, of, of uh, that. And that's basically him from the side and the front end. Then I cover it again from the other end. Uh, no, that's actually part of a movement. So that's that. Uh, and then. I turned over and shot all the other guys. Mm. And, and did he, he play gave for it, them? He yes. gave it full force, yeah. full force, full force. And uh, so the whole thing was done in less than three and a half hours. Wow, OK. And then were there times where the darkness of the subject matter and the drama of the scenes, uh, you know, the, the fiction or the spilt over into reality? And, and the scene I have particularly in mind is um, the um, the poisoning of um, of the children. I mean, that's was that's a really. I mean, I was torn between showing this scene and and that scene because that's such a. I mean, a, just the uh, approach. I, I I don't know the actress's name, but it's the systematic approach of each killing each of her her children. I mean, just I mean, for the experience of shooting that and a crew watching that, and even the performances of the children going from sleep to death. I mean, it's all so systematic and powerful for it. And long, quite a long sequence. You don't... Yeah, I think that's one of those moments where you can't fuck around with the audience. You either do it right or you don't do it at all because it, was, it would diminish. The, yeah. the, it's that, I mean, what, what's interesting, having done it like that, looking at it the way I had planned it out, which is sort of just silence and the sound of that, the humming of that uh, air condition of the bunkers, it was just unbearable to watch. So what it, what it did was something I'd never imagined, that I needed to put in subtle music in order to make it more, or at, at least digestible. Okay. I found that really interesting. So sometimes the music is not just schmaltzing it mm, it's just over, actually to make but it's, it really helps yes. the audience to, you know, like kind of tones it down mm. and helps digesting. But yeah, shooting that was, was, that was quite, Tough. I had rehearsed the whole thing with the children by playing with them. A, firstly, I explained, even to the little one who wasn't even four, really, what that was all about and that that happened, that had ha happened, and that we were doing re recreating that scene in order to make sure that, that something terrible like that must never happen again. 
And uh, that's something I found out working with children. If you play it straight, you can deal with them, work with them just like you would work with adults, really. Mm. You just have to take into account that they, that they tired sooner and you have to give them breaks and things. But they, they, if they have the gene, you know, it doesn't matter how old they are and whether they've been to any actor's school or not. And all these kids had that gene. I, I made sure. I, I, looked for, I looked at hundreds of kids to, to finally find these. And I just rehearsed with, like, gummy bears, the, the whole thing. So they had a ball. And whenever a take was done and the light was turned off by uh, the mother, they would yell, yell, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would like, leave it dark like for a couple of yeah. seconds for them to have fun and then do the next take. Okay. It was very hard on the, on the grown-ups, yeah. especially when the 12-year-old when, when the says, Mommy, I don't want to drink this. Mm. And Corinna, who is the mother of three kids, had sort of like a breakdown and I had to stop the shoot and, yeah, you, you're the psychologist. Yes, yes, you yes, just yeah. talk to them and listen, this is, we've got to do this, right? We've got to go through this. And so that she kind of recovered and we could continue. Then it was Uli who plays um, uh, Goebbels who lost it um, and came back and we, uh, finished and then we go outside. Outside, just him listening, and you just, I just, you just hear the the voice of the girl saying, "Please, Mama, I don't want to drink this." And then, to my own surprise, I catch myself losing it. I, mm. I just can't continue anymore. I'm, I'm just in tears, and had never, had never happened to me before and after. And my, my, the first AD took over and and did the last, that last setup. It's a very Sometimes you create something that's so real already on the spot that it's really... Mm. <sighs> and uh, that script, I mean, half it is, at least half it, maybe two-thirds of it is set in the bunker. And the other third is, you know, out on streets with people getting, you know, really, really difficult, suffering images of, of people and of the German people. Uh, um, it has a real claustrophobic feel. To achieve that, did you, um, did you work with your designer to create sets with walls that would fly, how to get your camera in? You say you shot in two cameras. Again, your, your approach to that, because like, so, much, so much was happening within the bunker. Well, my original idea was to really build this thing in concrete on the, on the lot of Bavaria Studios and told them, listen, you, this is going to be more expensive, but you're going to have the Führer bunker there and you make it part of the tour. <laughs> and they were like, are oh, you mad? That can never be part of the... F this is, of course, before we <laughs> knew how successful it would be. <laughs> yes. But that would have been my ultimate yes. goal, to really have that, wow. have that feel. And then they said, no, we can't afford that. And are you crazy? You, this is, this is a, there's no way to do that. <laughs> and I didn't mean it in a cynical way. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a movie set, just like the, the, the submarine in, in this boat. Mm. Uh, and, and the bunker is destroyed forever. So I think it would be only only fair to make that part of that. If you make a film about it, you can show the set as well, or you don't do neither. Yeah. Well, re anyways, I, I insisted on having like a very solid construction that you could, that, would f that followed like uh, to the centimeter the, the original layout, the floor plan of the bunker <laughs> with like the different levels and one entry in the, in the front and an exit in, in the back. 
for and crew as well as cast. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We just had. I just had to do the compromise that there was like an emergency door right left in the middle of that thing, but we kept that close, kind okay, of. So yes. any anybody, the actors as well as the crew, every every time they entered, it had to go in like mm. that or exit. The same way. And that department response Roofs, of course, yes. were like solid. So okay. it got really sort of hot and, and stuffy. And so really the difficult fabric we used was felt like stone. It felt yeah. like concrete. It was like a cold, cold surface, even though the, the basic construction was like wooden poles mm. and things like that. But it was very, it gave you a feeling of very solid walls. Which obviously all fed in, and you believe fed into the atmosphere of it. I mean, do you... I just didn't want... Yes. I, I, I didn't want moving walls yeah. or anything. I didn't want to use long lenses. As soon as you start using long lenses in, 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 a, in a setup like that, it becomes what we call... Uh, Artificial. Yeah, it's king top, you know. It's, it's, it's a movie, right? Mm, mm, mm. Well, I was trying to make a film. Yes, yeah, and you feel very much that you're in there and the, you're stuck in that, stuck in that bunker. I mean, I'm sure this is a question you've been asked many, many, many times, but how, in, in the making of Downfall, how intrinsic is your German identity, being a German filmmaker, to, to your approach to Downfall and... You know what, I pretty much, I left, I, I left my country 23 years ago and decided to, to live in Austria. So that helped me quite a bit because you're looking at your own country a little bit like a tourist. And I left the country because I had certain difficulties with my own people. I felt more comfortable in, among the Austrians, mm. even though they often way more anti-Semitic and uh, right-wing. But it's just there's something there that makes me feel, that makes me be more at ease in a way. Mm. So. Looking at that whole that, that that whole chapter was pretty much like what I did for five minutes, you know. Mm. What did what did I really know about the conflict in Northern Ireland? So you you look at footage, you look at pictures, you read and you read and you read and you read, and that's basically what I did with the Third Reich as well. Of course, I had way more knowledge before. I was always sort of taken with that, like fascinated by that. Mm. So I always wanted to find how was that possible? How, how, why did people do that? How did they get people to do that? What kind of people did that? And of course, as a, as a boy, as a young man, you never, you never really got a proper answer. So for me, that was sort of the, the process of really finding out what it was that made people do that, what it was that that had happened in Germany, what the, what the background of that is, right? And uh, I still believe that it only, and that, I think only the Germans, for various reasons, would, would be radical enough to execute oh, something like the Holocaust in the way they, they did. It is a very German thing. It's shocking, but I think that's the dirty truth. And you mentioned Five Minutes of Heaven, which we'll now just look at a, a short clip of starring that. Um, uh, one and Liam Neeson and, and Jimmy Nesbitt, but I've picked a clip here with where with the young where the, the actress playing the young, um, the younger version of these two guys. Yeah. Uh, so I have to say I'm doing you some disservice by the clips I've all shown are.
people in a very confined space. You do <laughs> huge wide open spaces uh, as well. But um, I, I picked this because I know all of those actors really had little or no experience. And two of them in that clip you then fought to cast in Borgia and play really large roles in, in, um, in, in Borgia. And that, that I think um, is interesting that you fought for them because I know you did fight for them in, in, in that production. But just your experience uh, and your, your working with, with uh, young and inexperienced actors. Well, as I said, if they have the gene, You've, you've got actors, and, 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 and then you just look at them. How good are they? What's their range? What, 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 what can you get for them, from them? Mark, I, I, I had seen on, on pictures and had turned him down because I thought he looked too posh for, for this kind of character. And then I saw a casting video for some American movie, and there were a couple of kids, and he was more like in the background, but there was something about the guy, some energy. There's, I thought it was really interesting, mm -hmm. and then I stopped that image and looked at him, and, and he looks like a young Liam Neeson. Mm, so he does. Yeah. I had him, had him, had him to, to, to bring him back, and and uh, had the three guys I had already. I was just looking for Mark, like okay. for, the, for 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 the young, for the young Liam Neeson. Yeah. yeah. And I just put them together and didn't really rehearse. That he was well prepped. The boys were well prepped as well, and we just did it two, three times, and I knew it's mm. the guy. And. I, I st I mean, I've been doing this for qu quite a while. I don't know what you guys how, what you guys think about it. I still don't understand how these people do it. <laughs> I know what I tell them. I know what to do to get it like in the direction I need. But they are to me they are wonder actors when they're mm. good. Mm. They are just the most wonderful people. Really. They give you so much if you listen to them, if you watch and. They surprise you. Mm. And even like, I mean, we're always under pressure somehow at the time, you know, and you go, like, well, I just, okay, let's do one more time. And can you do this and that moment and do that break a little bit? You know what I'm yes, talking the about. The thing right? that you can't direct. How the fuck do they do that? <laughs> and we get the credit for it so often. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. probably a good moment to open it up here to, to the floor and um, uh, invite any thoughts or questions from your fellow directors. Well, we just talked about the acting gene a lot. They either have it or they don't. So acting can't be taught. So it's your responsibility when casting them. Discussing people who have this gene, whether white look, whatever, and that they need very little work and direction from you then onwards. Well, that, uh, I think good actors always have that gene. And then there's different levels and uh, extent. So some just have it and they, they do it. They don't need any hour of training or education. And then others, they need extensive schooling. They need it for themselves, even though I would buy what they do anyways. But they need it, right? They're constantly working on their craft, um, perfecting it. And you know what? In, the, in my perfect world, I cast, I cast right and minimize my work, you know? If the script is right, if, if I've been really pushing and pushing and pushing that the script is in a, in, 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 a, in a state that it's hard, you know, not to make it better on the page, but, you know, just make it better by shooting it, and you get the right cast, I say that's 70% that's of the work, really. 
I mean, we, we all know that the 30% that's left is still not more than enough, but I know if I, if, I, if I work, if I have to use a lot of time with an actor, I know I made a wrong decision. And then how do you deal with that wrong decision? Well, you make it right. Just, I mean, uh, obviously coming up Don't make it his fault yeah, yeah, or her yes, fault. Yes. Uh, the good thing, even like a, a medium, mediocre actor, they, they love work. I mean, mm. if, if, you, if you love them, if you take them serious, um, you always get good mm. work from them mm. in the end. Maybe not as brilliant <laughs> as from others, but you always sort of get, they give you mm. something. Mm. Yeah. I have two questions. One, um, had you seen Bruno Gantz in Brecht's Arturo Reed, which he'd done in Rep for about nearly 20 years? And the other one is a uh, stranger one. Um, when, when you filmed Downfall, the actual deaths of Hitler is done behind closed door. Did you film inside the room and delete it in post-production and editing? Or did you just decide, no, I'd, I'd do it from outside? Well, yeah, question one, of course I've seen that. And uh, I mean, as a boy, when I was 19, 20, I would travel through the east of Germany from Hamburg to Berlin to see Bruno Ganz on stage at uh, the Hallische Ufer, which was on the legendary stage of German theater. So he was sort of like a hero for me, even then. And he's, he's, he's the most, the highest regarded actor of the German language, I suppose, still. He's, he's, and he's the head of the, Film Academy now in Germany, so he's royalty, really. See, the idea and downfall was not to make anything up, not to do something that didn't happen, and 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 check the accounts and counter-check the accounts, and really get to the core of like to get to the truth as much as possible. Now we know the situation after. Uh, they found the dead Eva Brown and Adolf Hitler. So we could, as a director, I could have staged it somehow. But then there was nobody there who saw it. Plus, I didn't want to be the, the man to decide how this man killed himself. To decide, yeah, I have, I, I have him die like a wimp, crying on his knees, and she's like the brave wife. Or, does he die like a Prussian officer, like the other guys you see in the film? I knew about those men. The, the Prussian officers had the tradition of killing themselves facing defeat. So, but I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be the director to make that decision. I wouldn't. I wanted to leave that to the audience to to imagine. Does that mean throughout Oliver that you didn't take, as a rule, artistic license with? with scenes with, with Hitler? Or was it just in that particular? Only, only in so far as I wanted it as authentic for this character as mm. possible. Mm. But that would, you know, sh showing him die, mm. that would be, that would have been my opinion. Yes, that would of have course. Been, that, that would have been really my uh, manipulating the mm. audience. And that's, I, I don't, but Especially in that case, don't see myself. But, but doing yet that. you got quite a bit of stick, is it true, in, in Germany for yeah. saying that you're humanizing Hitler, which I yeah, what does would, that mean? In would the first argue place? with hugely. I mean, by by showing 
his, some of his more humane aspects being good to Blondie, and especially that scene where he employs the secretary, it actually, I think, makes his actions more and more atrocious. Or his yes, and of course, all the Jewish communities uh, worldwide appreciated that because it's much, it's, it's, it's way more close to the truth that these people were human beings doing that mm -hmm. to other human mm -hmm. beings instead of being just demons mm. or monsters. Um, yeah, okay, the monsters do horrible things, demons do, the devil does terrible things, but these are human beings, right? Mm. So, how, I, the, 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 I, I never understood that, yeah. really. Even being German, I did not... Understand the attack on, on it, yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they sort of have learned the lesson a little bit now. They, was it particular to the German reaction, by yeah, the way? Just basically just, in Germany, okay, yeah. Just yeah. In France was quite a bit of discussion going on as well. But then again, you know, by far we had the, mo the highest, um, uh, the most admissions in Germany. More than five million people went to see the film. So, in a way, it was a good thing <coughs> yes, because there was yes, a lot of yes, talk yes, about of it. Course, and yeah. uh, people went to make up their, their own minds. Any... Yes? How did your approach differ, uh, say, going from feature films, say, to TV? Well, I come from TV. I started, I started out doing, like, a little TV movie, and then um, it got a little bigger. Then I did two very popular, it's like, it's, they are 90 minutes long, but it's a very popular format in, uh, in Germany. It's a mystery series, like, uh, like a prime suspect. Like or prime a, yes, suspect, yes, yeah, yeah. not as good, but um, sort of in that in that range. But they were all sort of like I won a Grimmer Award for one of those, which is like more like an artistic award, like for more of like there was, it was. I think it was the first TV mystery thing that ever won that thing. Now it happens more I'm often. And then I decided I wanted to do something more commercial, which was a TV series, actually. And I I became the pilot director of that TV series absolutely mainstream, made for the audience, cop show about this policeman whose partner is a dog. I think it aired here too. It was hugely successful worldwide. And I just, this, this guy pitched me that concept. I thought, wow, that's great. I, I would have wanted, I'd like to see that. It's like Flipper, you know, or, or yeah. Nessie or something like that. I want to do something like that. Yeah. And You like making work that people see as opposed to the, the film or the piece of television for the, the tiny audience? I do both, really. Yeah. I, like the monologues I did, I knew there was like a limited audience, but mm. I just felt I needed to make that film, make, make these films. And but that was for me, that was like my training day, that the Rex thing, I did 15 episodes and wrote two. That was a perfect training day, really. And do you see a difference in approach as a director between TV and film? Do you treat them in any ways differently? No. Yeah, it's, they're both. I mean, on our level, no. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm striving for authenticity. I try to make it as much believable as possible, get the audience by the balls, yet yeah, don't cheat, don't, you know, fuck around with them. We know the, the worst enemy is time, right? You mm, just have mm. way less time when you do... I mean, at least in those days. Today well, I asked myself, I think it's all the same now, right? I, I, this, our ma major enemy is time, right? Yeah, well, that is. I, I, because I know in five minutes of heaven you had a particularly short prep time. Yeah. You literally... I, I mean, it was something quite... Four weeks? Yes. I mean, uh, Rory? I mean most people uh, would run. Oh, by the way, Rory... Um, oh. Hi, Rory. Welcome. Fine Irish um, 
DOP. You worked with an Irish crew, five, obviously, five then, didn't you? Of heaven, yeah. <laughs> okay, um, I've got five minutes of heaven left with you. Okay. So, have we got some angels who'd like to fill that five minutes of heaven? Did you, um, have you always worked in the same way? Or did you ever make a shift in the way you worked that you felt it wasn't, you wanted to try a different way of working or it wasn't working out? Or have you always had a, an idea about how, how you were going to approach it? I don't think I, no, I don't think I ever worked very much different from what I do, which is I prep a lot. I always have a plan in the morning, yet it's still like the old days when I used to be a painter, you know? You, have, you attack a painting with a clear idea of a composition or something like that, and you start to work, and then you realize, mm, no, they're not quite there, and then I change the scene and that. So I'm pretty much an additive an additive director, you know, you, I have something and I build it and then I watch and then I listen and then, but I hardly ever change that really, no. It, it seems to work, so. And how do you deal with that big enemy of time? Because I think time is everybody's enemy, be a prepper, particularly on, particularly on set, there's never enough time. But um, do you have a kind of a sudden, keep it simple, stupid approach? You're on the last scene of the day and, you know, you have to get it. You know, there isn't an option of dropping it until the... Well, then you have to do one take, yeah. yeah. And have to, have to be able to drop all these other shots. If you know you need the other shots, you just have to fight for them mm. and then get them in. And it's amazing how often you have this idea you need a certain kind of series of setups and then you cannot get them and it works. Because at the end yes, of the day, it's yes. all about those guys. You yes, know? The performance yes. is right. It doesn't, mm. really, it doesn't even matter whether, whether you have a frontal shot. If mm. it's like mm. from there and it's right, Godard showed us, it works. <laughs> Moving on. And finally, do you... Um, any, sorry, there is a question here. Uh, yeah. um, from, from the films that you've made, which show people following, you know, following a particular path to evil through, you know, orders or through taking on roles with thus experiment or downfall. Do you believe that people have an inherent gene that will make them do things, go along with things that they don't necessarily believe in? Well, I think the vast majority of people are good people. They just, in certain circumstances, under certain circumstances, do very bad things or evil, evil things, really. And I think that comes from the fact that we're still pretty much the animal that we used to be, defending ourselves, being ready to, to run or to fight. That's really those two things that, that, that's inbuilt. And then we, I think people are very much defined by their upbringing. If they, if they grow up in a loving, uh, accepting environment, they are likely not to ever do really bad things, evil things, only if they're really forced to do that on what gunpoint they would do it. And then others who grow up abused, not accepted, not loved, not cared for, they seem to get that out. They seem to sort of repeat that pattern that they kind of have learned. And that's something you 
if you do research, you find that in, the, in, in these German people, you find that in Africa and Sierra Leone for, uh, during, the, during the time of the Civil War, uh, basically anywhere where, you, where, you, where atrocities happen, if you look at the perpetrators, um, most of them, the, the bad ones, the really bad ones, um, have an upbringing like that. They, 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 had, a, they had a bad childhood. So, so sure. in a way, I mean, it's, I think it's in all of us, only we don't let the ones who were brought up with certain values don't let it out as much as others. And it's frightening to know that 80% of the world population believes that hitting a child is a proper means of education. That doesn't give me much hope, I must say. Oliver, as we draw to the end of our AGM and our year as a collective of, of directors, do you have, would you have any advice for those of us in the room? From this the, our blown, uh, uh, full-blown directors, what should I give? Uh, no, I just suppose from your, from, your, from your experience, because you, you know, you've had the, the good luck and talent to be exposed to, you know, a, a high level and high, high volume um, of, of work, and, but ultimately all the challenges be it on a small piece or a big piece, I, I suppose ultimately they're, they're the same. Is there anything, any wisdom that you can impart, leave us with today as a... Well, I can only say how I do it. I, I embrace the story, the characters, the subject, and I try never to be too serious about it. I just try to do my best. and. It, I think that keeps me from going insane. And it doesn't, and you're serious, it doesn't get better the more successful you, you become. It, it really makes it more difficult. Really. And you just have to stay on that track, just embrace it, love it, and don't take it too serious. I think that's the beginning of the end, really. Okay. On that note, I'd like to thank Oliver. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. <laughs>